Well, tonight, the lesson will be a mixture of talking about how we can improve in the coming year, what we can do better as a church family, as well as reflecting on what we do well already. Let me give this disclaimer. I do not want this lesson to come across as the old man shaking his fist at a cloud. You know, the guy saying, you kids get off my lawn. I don't want to be that guy. But I do think it's good for us to inspect what we expect. And I namely want to talk about, for a few moments tonight, Sunday night and Wednesday night. Because I don't care where you go on vacation, you grab the bulletin of the church you're visiting at, and if they publish, publish their attendance numbers, there's a very good possibility that the attendance on Sunday night and Wednesday night is very different than the attendance on Sunday morning. Why is that? Many churches, if not virtually every church, has asked that question. How do we get a better return rate on Sunday night and Wednesday night? What can we do differently? Some churches don't face this problem because a long time ago they just gave up the fight. They said, you know what, we're not going to fight it anymore. It's more of a tradition than it is scriptural. We're not even going to meet on Sunday night. But the, there are still some churches, many churches, that have said, we're not ready to admit defeat yet, but we don't know how to win here. Now, I think that Oldham Lane has attendance numbers on Sunday night and Wednesday night that a lot of churches would envy. In fact, we have had other churches ask, what do you all do to get them back on Sunday night and Wednesday night? And so that's something that we do pretty well. But I still think it's important for us to inspect what we expect at all of our worship services, but mainly on Sunday night and Wednesday night. How do we get that better return rate? And when discussing this, anytime there is a discussion or a conversation about getting people back on Sunday night and Wednesday night, what typically happens is those driving the conversation immediately blame who? Well, the non-attenders. But I think there's enough blame to go around. It's easy to blame the non-attenders and say what we often say, which is, well, if they're more dedicated, if they just had more of a commitment. And you know what? That might be true. There very well are some people out there that need to rearrange their priorities. I have no doubt that there are some Christians that need to up their commitment level. But I also think that there is enough blame to go around. How did we get to this point? How did we get here? Well, based on people who study this more than I do, they have said a few things. They have stated that Sunday evening service was a cultural adaptation of its time, and its decline is yet a response by the culture. In other words... It was good for the time that it was employed, but that time has passed. And so therefore, you just need to do away with it. It's also been suggested that more and more things are competing with Sunday evening and Wednesday evening. That is absolutely true, and you know that to be true. You know that growing up, even when I was growing up, no extracurricular activities were scheduled on Sunday or Wednesday. Those were off limits. Not anymore. Now, many things are scheduled, and there are many things competing with services on Sunday night and Wednesday night, right? 
Others have said that an increasing emphasis on family time has led to a decline in attendance. In other words, more and more people in our culture are saying, you know what, Sunday morning is enough. We're going to spend Sunday afternoon and Sunday evening with family or Wednesday night being the same way. And then it has also been suggested that the busyness of our society is a major contributor. In other words, we're busier than we've ever been as a society. And because we are so busy, it's leading to a decline on our, on our attendance. I don't know how founded this research is, but I, I agree with every one of these points, at least to some degree. I don't think that they're right, necessarily, as far as I don't think that's the right mindset always, but I do think it's a contributing factor, most definitely. So when we look at what we can do to have a better return rate on Sunday night and Wednesday night, I think we need to consider these factors. And also, when we inspect what we expect, we need to understand that the blame may fall on us too. We can blame the non-attenders, but we need to be able to point the finger at ourselves at times as well. And so when we're looking at inspecting what we expect, I think the first thing that we have to talk about is quality, don't you? I think we have to think about the quality of our services every time that we gather. If we're going to offer, for instance, a midweek Bible study, then we need to guarantee that what's being offered is worth the time and effort to get here and sit through it and be a part of it, right? We can blame the non-attenders and say that they're not as committed as they should be, but we have every right to expect the Bible class teacher, the devotional leader, to be just as committed, right? I think that's only fair. To come and sit through a Bible class where the teacher is obviously not prepared or to come and sit through a Bible class where the material is absolutely irrelevant and has nothing for us, I think that's expecting a lot for people to come and sit through that week in and week out. We've made Sunday night and Wednesday night little more than a test of faithfulness. You know, kind of like Abraham sacrificed his son, you've got to come and sit through a Bible class to show how much faith you have. That's really what we've done. We've made it little more than a test of faithfulness. But this is wrong, wrong, wrong. Because if we are only gathering because it is an obligation, then we could not be more wrong. That should never be the motivation or the reason for us to do anything, is that we come together because we're supposed to. It's not a good reason. Now, when we talk about the quality of our services, one thing that we have to wrap our minds around is we, we shouldn't treat Sunday evening like it's a cheaper form of Sunday morning. That doesn't mean that Sunday evening has to operate exactly like Sunday morning, but so many times it is the kind of stepson or stepdaughter to the Sunday morning service. We should never throw things together because, you know, it's Sunday night, we've got to meet, we've got to do something, we might as well throw something together. We may never overcome the declining numbers on Sunday night and Wednesday night. We may never do that, but we cannot simply only point the finger at those who don't attend. We've got to be able to look at ourselves introspectively. And so I would say this, if you're a Bible class teacher, come prepared. Come prepared. If you're leading the devotional, don't just throw your thoughts together that afternoon before you come up here. If you're a song leader, understand that you are setting the tone for worship. Take that seriously. Never take the opportunity to serve for granted. 
This is major stuff. This is important stuff. We need to be careful and mindful of what we're doing and why we're doing it. There are many Christians, as I've said, that need to be more faithful. There are many that probably need to rearrange their priorities, who, who lack commitment perhaps. But they must be strengthened when they do decide to come. Here's something else I would say. I think it's important to respect people's time. Especially on Wednesday evening. Because a lot of you have a lot to do when you get home at 8.15 or 8.30. You know, you still have homework, bedtime, you know, getting the kids ready for bed, whatever it may be. There is a lot still to do. We have some older members that don't see well at night. So time is important. You've heard me say before, we shouldn't worship on a clock. And I do believe that. But at the same time, there is a compromise there. I think we need to be respectful of people's time. Is it a major travesty if you go over five or ten minutes here and there? No, not at all. I'm not saying that. Let's don't major in the extremes here. But I do think it's important for us to consider people's time. You know, Jake, a few years ago, took our Wednesday night devotional and said, you know, we're going to condense it down. We're going to make our time here together a quality time, but we're also going to be mindful of people's time. And I think he's done a very good job with the format. But I do think that we need to be mindful of people's time. That being said, I think there's another side to this, and I think that we as church members need to be respectful of time as well. By that I mean that we need to do our best not to disrupt class by coming in late. If we expect our teachers to put in the time and effort, then we should be respectful of that time and effort by not disrupting their class by coming in a considerable amount of time late. Are there extenuating circumstances? Absolutely. You have a flat on the way to church. Your kid has a blowout right when you're going out the door. That happens. And it happens a lot, unfortunately. But, extenuating circumstances aside, I think we owe it to our Bible class teachers to be on time and to be respectful of their time. Here's another one. And I hesitate to bring this one up because I don't think it's really that major of a deal, but... You know, when I was preparing this lesson, I thought this might be a good time to mention it. I don't know when else you would mention it because it seems so random, but flow. Something that the elders and the staff have talked about with our worship services. How can we make it flow better? Now, again, this is not a major thing. This is certainly not a salvation issue or a deal breaker. But I do think that there are some tiny areas within our worship service that we can increase flow and cut down on the awkwardness, maybe? You know, for instance, it's rather awkward, and it takes more time when the song leader gets done and somebody comes up to lead a prayer all the way from the back, right? Is that a major ordeal? No, no, I don't mean to suggest. If you've ever done that, please don't think that I'm, I'm pointing the finger at you. Um, but, you know, it also causes some confusion because, you know, I know Eddie Dunn's got his head on a swivel. He's constantly going, looking around, you know. So he's, he's, our, he's our substitute prayer guy. He comes up when anybody uh, maybe forgets or isn't here. But we can increase flow by doing what we did this morning. Did you notice that Larry Bell was up here ready to speak as soon as Mike got done with the song? Did you notice that Forrest McCann was up here ready to go as soon as that song was done? We put our logo on the last slide. Have you noticed that? You know why that's there? 
That's a stop sign. That tells you that's the end. So if you're leading in the worship service in some way, either through prayer or communion focus or whatever, you see that and you know I'm about to be up. And we've asked that you sit on the front row and be ready when it's time. I think it would really increase our flow if you're up and you're ready to go as soon as that song ends. I think you'd be surprised how much of a minor change that is and how much of a major difference that it can make. But that's, that's a minor thing. Here's a major thing. If we want to increase our attention, or at least if we want to have the potential, let's say that, if we want to have the potential of increasing our attendance on Sunday night and Wednesday night, I think one of the main places where that starts is relationships. Don't you? And, you know, there are a lot of these things that we could discuss and that I have discussed with other churches. You know, the exciting thing about Oldham Lane is that we are growing and we, we have new people coming in all the time, and that's always exciting. It's also exciting when I go and preach somewhere else and people say, you know what, y'all are growing. What are y'all doing over there? And so I get to tell them, well, here's some of the things that we're doing. And one of the things that I always point to is relationships. I'm not always the last one to leave here. There are many times where I feel like I need to be the last one to leave because, you know, I'm the preacher. But I also like talking to people. I also like, you know, maybe visiting with folks that I hadn't got to visit with in a while. But there is always someone who leaves after me, usually several someones. There are people in the parking lot talking. There are people in the auditorium talking, people in the hallway, in the multipurpose room. There are people everywhere developing relationships. We've got certain groups in our congregation, whether it be the Yak or Prime Timers, that are getting together on a regular basis outside of these walls to develop those relationships. I think it only makes sense that if you want to increase attendance, you develop and foster relationships. That may not be a tried and true way, but I can't believe that it wouldn't work to some degree. And I can't believe that it doesn't have some effect on our attendance and why our numbers are better than a lot of people's on Sunday night and Wednesday night. But here's something else. Ruts or traditions. We like our ruts. We like our traditions, don't we? But as I said a moment ago, if we are only doing something because we've always done it, that's never a good reason to do it. Just simply doing things out of obligation will kill it. You may still do it. You may still have, you know, good attendance. You may still go through the motions. You still may have all, you know, the boxes checked. But it will be lifeless. Because there has to be more than just doing it because you've always done it. There has to be better motivation than that. We like our ruts. I like mine. You like yours. We like our traditions. We're not talking about scriptural truth here, not at all. We're talking about our traditions. We're talking about things that are not, you know, bound by scripture. We like those things. And sometimes we'll stay so stuck in our ruts and we'll keep revving the engine and spinning the wheels that we bury ourselves further and further, never realizing that we're stuck. You know this. Maybe you've been at other places. I've been at other places where, you know... A church is going to keep doing the same thing even though it hadn't worked in 25 years because we've always done it that way. That cannot be our mantra. The past is not our hero. We believe in the past. We, we're, we're grateful for the past, perhaps. We're thankful. We learn from it. But it's not our hero. We don't worship it. And again, I'm not advocating wholesale change. I'm not setting you up for something to say, oh, in the new year, we're going to do this, this, and this. Not at all. 
But I'm just saying that we need to be honest with ourselves, not be led by fear, not be led by tradition, but be able to say what profits us the most here. What is enriching and edifying and first and foremost, what glorifies God? Sometimes there may be a, may need to be a change in the way that we do that. Not a change in the message, but the method. Here's something else. We have to be willing to be accountable. The elders, the staff, the deacons, the church members, all must be willing to be introspective, to assess themselves, and to say, am I fulfilling my role or responsibility? You know, one thing that I've tried to do with my kids, and please don't hear this as Chris is telling us how to raise our children, because I am not, by any stretch of the imagination, the perfect parent. You better not say amen. <laughs> but one thing that I've always tried to do is set the bar high. Have big expectations. I've told my kids, if, if a C is the best you can do, if you tried and tried and you, and you made a C and that's the best you can do, okay. As long as you did your best. But set that bar high. Never walk away and say, well, that was good enough. If you've seen these commercials, I don't even know what the product is, but they're hilarious. And there's about four or five of them uh, that are running right now. And it's like um, something about just okay is not okay. You've seen those? You know, like the patient's laying in the hospital bed and the nurse asks him, so who's your doctor? And he tells her and she goes, oh, he's okay. You know, and it's talking about okay is not okay. And I think that's true in church. Just okay is not okay. It shouldn't be with us lest we end up like the Laodicean Christians, right? And we make our Lord sick to his stomach because we've come complacent. Oh, yeah, we're still checking off all the boxes. We're still going through the routine. We're still in our rut. We're still clinging to our traditions, but we're lifeless. You see, we can't always blame the non-attender if what we're doing is clumsy and purposeless. We've got to be willing to inspect what we expect of others, and we had better set that bar high, because God does. It's not about us, really. It's about Him, right? And if He sets the bar high, then we need to set that bar high. If you look in your Bible, you're probably wondering when we're going to get to the Bible. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, you probably know this verse, or at least you've heard it a time or two. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's the message here? What's the message of Hebrews verse 25? If you don't go to church, you go to hell, right? That's the message. No, that's not the message. That's what we always say. This is our signature verse for why you got to be at church. Like we talked about this morning, we do that with Ephesians 5.19. We pluck it out of context and we make it stand as a proof text. It's not good biblical interpretation. Nor is it good here because Hebrews 10.25 is not even the complete sentence. There's more to this, right? And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The immediate context of Hebrews 10, 25 is the fact that without Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sins. The entire letter to the Hebrews is a warning, 
a warning not to fall away. I, I mean, when people ask me, do you believe in once saved, always saved? No. Why not? Because of Hebrews. The whole letter is a warning not to fall away, which means you can fall away, right? The Hebrew writer is saying, don't fall away. Don't fall into apostasy. Don't go back to Judaism. The word forsake in verse 25 means to abandon or desert, which makes sense when you consider that the writer is talking about the spiritual ramifications of abandoning Jesus. And we can assume that some Christians had done just that, which is why the Hebrew writer is addressing it. I mean, look at the language. Hold fast without wavering. He warns them not to trample underfoot the Son of God or profane the blood of the covenant by which they were sanctified. He also warns them not to throw away their confidence or to be like those who shrink back and are destroyed. So the context here of not forsaking our own assembling together, the correct context is about drawing closer to Jesus, to one another, so that you don't fall away. Back up just a little bit in, in verses 22 and following, and it reads, Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's the message? What do we get out of this? Well, it's not just about don't miss church or you won't go to heaven. The point is get closer. Get closer. Get closer to God and to one another. Find ways to encourage one another. Love on one another. Work together. Why? So that no one walks away from Jesus. So that you don't fall away. Make it extremely difficult for anyone to walk away from the Lord and His church. Do you think that the Holy Spirit, working through the Hebrew writer, intended for us to take this message in the 21st century and apply it to our own lives? I think absolutely. What's the remedy for reaching the non-attenders? How do we have a fighting chance of raising our attendance, our return rate on Sunday night and Wednesday night? By creating something so loving, something so encouraging and so powerful and so impactful that, that people don't want to miss it. That they can't stand to miss it. Make our time together so uplifting and so meaningful that it changes them in a profound way and they don't want to leave. Why do you think attendance is greater among those of the older generation? Why do you think it is that the older generation is much more faithful in their attendance by and large? And don't say because they don't have anywhere else to be, because that's not, that's not necessarily true. Don't say because they got all their kids raised and now they don't have anything else to do, they're bored. No. Because what I have seen so often, and I know you have as well with your own family or whoever, is as we get older, we see that day approaching. The older we get, the closer we get to eternity. And so certain things become more of a priority, right? We put more of an emphasis on, on things. We become reflective. We start thinking about our soul. We start thinking about where we will spend eternity more and more because that day is drawing closer and closer. And I would encourage us all as, 
as younger folks in the congregation to study our older brethren. You know, one thing I was thinking about the funeral yesterday for Peggy Martin, we have lost a lot of great folks in our congregation in just the last five years. People who were godly, who set the example. And I could go down the list. I, I could go on and on, and I won't because I'll miss somebody. But you can think, you've got a running list in your head as well. So many people that we have lost. And we talk about, we talk about our younger generation, and what do we always say when a church is filled with young families and kids running everywhere? Well, you know, they're the future of the church. And, you know, a lot of our programming, a lot of things that we do are designed to reach young people. And I feel like our older folks are some of the most neglected people in the church. Because we assume, well, they know all this. So maybe we don't, we don't dig as deep in Bible class or in sermons. Or, you know, they're, they're old enough to know all this. They don't need to hear this again. And, or we focus on the young people and we sometimes neglect them. Folks, they provide a tremendous example for us to follow. You can't lose the people we've lost in the last five years and not feel it as a congregation. Somebody's got to take their place. Who's going to do that? Who is the next Jimmy Jivenin or Forrest McCann or Bob Connell or who? You know, go down the list. Who's the next Bob Childers? Who is it? Who's going to take their place? Or are we going to just continue to kind of go down this road of, well, you know, I'll be there if I can make it. Otherwise, it's not that big a deal. We've got to look introspectively. Every church should be growing. Every church. Not in number necessarily, but every member should be growing. And if you're not, you need to ask yourself why. And you don't need to blame the Bible class teacher or the preacher or the elders or the deacons. No, this is on you. You've got to be a self-feeder. We have a part in that, but you've got to be a self-feeder. And as we've said many times, at some point you've got to take off the bib and put on an apron. And get to work. Being together with our church family should be of utmost importance to us. Perhaps the more we focus on making our gatherings a place where people feel encouraged and loved and stirred, the more people will feel compelled to come. I think we do a really good job of that here. I want to charge us going forward in the year to come to do even better. To love more, to serve better, to love God deeper, to develop and foster relationships even more and work, be diligent, to fill the vacancy left by those wonderful Christians who have gone before us. Okay. Again, I don't want to be the guy shaking his fist at the cloud or telling you to get off my lawn. I'm very, very excited about what we have here at Oldham Lane. I love all of you, and I thank you so much for loving me and putting up with me. Thank you so much. Let's all unite and band together, and let's be even better in 2019. What do you say? Better for God? Better at sharing the gospel? Better at being Jesus to those around us. And let's start tonight that if you have a need, if you need to personally get back on track, 
If you need to put on Christ in baptism, if you're ready to study the Bible with someone, if you need prayer, whatever it may be, don't leave here tonight without being right with God. Be right with God so that you can go help others be right with God. And come now as Wade leads us in song.